Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. We're a month into the new year. I hope you're at least one twelfth of the way on your way to hitting your goal, if not more. Uh, if you've been with us before, you know that the Sales Pro Network is all about supporting salespeople, a place where they can network, get to know each other, ask questions, get advice. And I devoted myself for the last 20 years to helping people to elevate the profession of sales and help them make more money as a sales coach and trainer. I founded the Sales Pro Network to do exactly that. And every week on a Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, if you've been with us before, you know, we always have either a live training or we invite a guest who can add value to the profession of sales. And once again, my friends, I've come through. You're going to be really excited when I introduce our guest today. He is the president and founder of Ingram Interactive. He is the sales genius. And by the way, I got to say that when I saw that title, I thought of uh, Wiley Coyote, who maybe uh, some of you are too young to know, but it was a cartoon character. And at one point he had a card that said, Wiley Coyote, super genius. So we've got a sales genius today. This gentleman helps salespeople convert prospects into deals. Please welcome our guest, Joe Ingram. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Jeff. Absolutely grateful to be here. And happy to have you. And good morning, Bruce Casserman. Always good to see you here. Happy National Pizza Day to everyone, Bruce says. Well, now I did we not know. know it was pizza Thank you, day. Bruce. <laughs> didn't know it was pizza day, but happy uh, happy that to you. Actually, I just heard on the, the news, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I think they said that today is the 60th anniversary of the Beatles' first appearance on Ed Sullivan. Boy, oh boy, does that make me feel old because I remember watching it live and it was life-changing. So uh, for all you Beatles fans out there, happy anniversary to that. So Joe, before I get to the million and one questions I have for you, so sure. that you give great advice uh, and answers to the audience, would you please give us a, maybe the two-minute uh, version of your background, what brought you up to this? Yeah, absolutely. So electrical engineer by degree, so it makes no sense to be in sales, but um, just uh, a family where humor and being outgoing was required as self-defense. And so uh, took that and channeled it into criminal defense, selling criminal defense, took from criminal defense, went into automotive, into dealerships, um, took about four years to work myself to the top. Um, and then I built and ran several of the top dealerships in the United States. And so... Gotcha. And I definitely have some questions about dealerships, but we'll get to that. Um, yes. it, 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 you've been doing sales a long, long time, much like myself, 48 years for me. Was there a particular moment in your sales career that really changed your approach to selling? Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you it was so yes would be the word, not yeah. So, <laughs> yes, I, I was working at the uh, criminal defense firm. So I got hired away from uh, the, uh, being an electrical engineer and running manufacturing divisions, went to a criminal defense firm because they believed I could actually um, build a team was their answer why they, they hired me and brought me over. Um, and then dealing with individuals that are in the worst predicament of their life as they're calling in. And our job was to set appointments with our outside sales team to have them go visit. So face-to-face, -face, you can get that. And I always understood face-to-face -face was, you know, the best way to sell something. Then sitting down, watching them try to squeeze in during the day, phone calls for people that were way out of the region or that were in states we didn't actually have a live body in. Um, and I remember sitting down one day going, just, just give me the phone. Just give me the phone and let me talk to these people. And so I got on the phone and started talking to these people and started getting, you know, credit cards over the phone. 
And they were like, here, please help us, please help us. And it was on that day that I realized it doesn't have to be a face-to-face -face transaction. And there's something to do with selling over the phone. And it, again, that just jarred my whole world. And that's when I started and said, wow, I could do so much more if I sell over the phone with all of the stuff that we have built an inside sales team, um, taught everybody how to talk because it's completely different than when you're doing it face to face. And so gotcha. yeah, and that was I, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I still believe that face to face is the best way to sell if you can possibly mm -hmm. do it. But of course, there's a great economy of scale by using things like Zoom or the telephone. And I've done the same thing many, many times. And I was laughing before when you said, you know, give me the phone, because uh, at one point I became the national, the co-national sales director for a company called Frost and Sullivan. And I built their team from three up to 45 people and it was all inside sales. And I used to walk around all day, you know, plug myself into people's phones and listen in. And it was all I could do most of the time to not grab the phone out of their hand and say, give me the phone. You're not, exactly. you're not doing this right. That's so true, right? I, I was watching the movie Replacements the other day with Keanu Reeves and what have you, really old cheesy 80s movie. But uh, Gene Hackman had said, you know what, when it gets to the, the time to, to really buckle down, the winner says, give me the ball. And I start laughing. I associate the same thing because I would be sitting with a bridge plugged into theirs, right? And they're over there going, keep turning the mute back on because I'm like, click. And they're like, we heard you click. No, you don't get to jump in. Let me go through this. But the answer was, I can smell the deal. Let me Let me go make it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was always, uh, you know, a balancing act between I want to close the deal for them, but I'm really not training them if I if I don't let them go through it. And, uh, you know, right. I, I'm them. not the manager creating somebody self-sufficient. I'm creating everybody to be an opener for me to be the closer. Yep. Exactly right. Teach a man to fish and so on. Um, yes. So I, I know that you either exclusively or almost exclusively work with auto dealerships. And I certainly heard you say that, you know, you've built teams there. But is there a reason why you'd focus on them now? Um, I focus on automobile dealerships. Well, a lot of, I, I have a complete passion for cars. I think right now I have 10. Um, you have 10 cars? 10 cars, and it's my wife and I. So there's really no need for it, but um, it is a passion. And so to me, I loved automobiles. I grew up in a gas station with my dad who owned gas stations and fixing cars when I was 14 on up. Um, I don't do it anymore. They're way too techy. And then... Um, but again, I had a passion for cars. I didn't even realize there was an automotive business to get into until I answered an ad. Once I got in there, it is it is literally the heyday for salespeople. When I say that, it's every day is the hunt. Every day is the I need to I need to make a check today, right? Which is the good and the bad of the car business that's there. But um, I've always found it to be the instant gratification location kind of deal. And that's what, to me, that's what attracted me. Now, what keeps me there is the desire to fix this really bad association that people have and, and that people earn in the car business as they are now. So that's that's what I go into. My, my dealerships don't treat people the way, because again, you start with the owner, talk to them, explain and say, is this what you want to be remembered for? And then comes down and go, do you really want somebody to hear your name at the grocery store and attack you? No, you don't want that. And so yeah. let's let's make it a reputable place and let's treat people right.
Well, I, I love hearing that. I want to talk more about that. But before I get to that, uh, uh, what's your current favorite car that you own? And what's your, your favorite car that you've owned of all time? Okay, so my favorite car that I currently own is it's embarrassing to say, but um, it's my Volvo CX60. Um, and and a major, it, I have very different reasons. For one, it's ultra safe. It does the driving thing for me and does all that. So I don't have to pay attention as much as I should. Um, but one of the things is it disappears in dealership parking lots. So when I pull in and park, nobody comes out and goes, hey, you're in customer parking. Can you go move? Your nobody sees it. It just disappears. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, because I had a situation where the car that I loved the most, which was my C7 Corvette, okay, and it, and it had the BDC genius for business development center on the license plate. It was white, chromed everything. And so anywhere I parked it, people knew I was there. And so on that one, I was training a dealership. I have 20 salespeople in a room and the general sales manager runs in and goes, oh my gosh, the owner saw your car out there, wants it out of customer parking. Give me your keys, right? And I, so I turn around, throw him my keys. He takes off, leaves. A couple hours later, I'm still training people. We're going in and out. Another person runs in, the used car manager runs in and goes, oh my God, give me your keys. You parked in the controller's parking spot. And I'm like, I have never met the controller, no idea where they park. What are you talking about? They're like, give me your keys. I go, I don't have my keys. I don't have my keys. And so he ran, he he runs back and go, talk to the general sales manager. He runs back and then they end up moving it. But I've been on the, to quote my book, the shit list with that controller for four years now. <laughs> because That's I'm great. the jerk that parked in his parking spot that I could not tell you where it was. So that is great. So yeah. It, I've considered many times getting a vet because I'm a guy and every guy wants yeah. to own a Corvette at some point. Uh, I've had Jeep Grand Cherokees for the last six or seven years because uh, they have this huge cargo space. And I have three kids who have all been in college. And I've been driving back and forth and moving stuff around. But uh, uh, the last two graduate in May and my lease is up uh, a year from May. So we may be looking at that vet eventually. I, I have one of those, too. I have the four by E that's the partial electric one to the Jeep Grand Cherokee, but a lot, the, one of the biggest dealerships I ever built up and ran was a Chrysler Dodge Jeep store. So Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT eight, that was like the number two behind the Corvette. <laughs> I, I love my Jeep. I, and I'll, I really want to get to the question, but I get, that can't resist. I never considered myself a Jeep guy. Uh, mm -hmm. I had been driving a Honda Accord for a while and I was like, oh, I hate, it's a great car, but but uh, it's not sexy and it's not cool. And uh, I called my broker, I was you know ending the lease and I said, I got to get back up high. I'd, I'd had a Toyota 4Runner. What, what do you think I should uh, look at? And he says, look at the Jeep Grand Cherokee, look at the uh, the Volkswagen Tiguan, and there was one other, I don't, but another, you know, uh, mm -hmm. thing like that. I went to a Jeep dealership, drove the Grand Cherokee, and immediately said, I don't need to go anywhere else. I just want one of these. So I, I love them. Uh, let's say we've got somebody who says, a Facebook user, I think that when I first started in the financial services industry back in the 80s, telephone sales were the way to go. Now, as my sales have gotten more comprehensive, I think that more of my prospects want a face-to-face -face meeting. Oh, that's my friend Bruce, Bruce Kassman, who wished us a happy pizza day. Yep, look, uh, it, as far as I'm concerned, Bruce and Joe, uh, nothing beats a face-to-face -face meeting if you possibly can. Next would be Zoom, because you can still see each other, and then telephone and everything else. But uh, you know, it, it, it's not always possible. Like Joe said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to hop on a plane and go to California for a sales call unless I have a Zoom meeting or a, a telephone call first. 
because I don't right. want to waste my time. Um, I, I want to get back to the, to the question, Joe. So why is it that so many automotive dealerships and automotive salespeople, they're manipulative, they're scummy, they, they leave you feel dirty after you buy a car. And, and what can dealers do to fix that? And before, before you answer, I, I, I can't resist sharing this with you. So I told you I had a Toyota 4Runner. Mm -hmm. When I went to buy the Toyota 4Runner, I'd already done my research. I'd been to two dealerships and I go to a third one just to make sure I'm getting the right pricing and all that stuff. And I'm ready to buy that day. So I'm standing there with my son and we're staring at the 4Runner. It's on the showroom floor. It's got a big balloon attached to it. So my son is really happy about it. And I'm staring at the car and a salesperson walks over, young kid. I mean, he was probably, I don't know, 22, 23 or something like that. He goes, I see you're interested in the 4Runner. I said, really? What gave it away? So it was a bad start. And then he said, he says, uh, are you interested? I said, yes, of course I am. I have two questions. One, is there a premium sound system? Because no matter what I buy, I got to have good tunes. And I haven't driven the car yet. I need giddy up. If I step on the gas, is it going to go? Because I drive everything like it's a Lamborghini. And I kid you not, Joe, that I will often exaggerate a story to make a point. There is no exaggeration here. He pops the hood and starts explaining, explaining crumple zones to me. Oh, yeah. And I am, what you, I'm like, are you kidding me? Now, I'm not saying that, but I gave him about 60 seconds. I said, look, my friend, I don't know what a crumple zone is. I don't care what a crumple zone is. I believe Toyotas are safe. I don't even care. I want the car. I just need to know two things. Does it go fast if I step on the gas? And can I get a premium sound system? And he's, he says, yeah, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. And he continues to explain crumple zones. Now I give him 15 seconds. I said, you got to stop, pal. I'm going to walk out. Don't do this. He go, And he leans into me like a conspirator, you know, lowers his voice. He goes, look, there's a, don't turn around, but there's a glass booth behind you, a glass uh, office behind you. And my sales manager is sitting there and he's watching. And if I don't explain crumple zones, I'm going to get in trouble. I said, oh, how much trouble do you think you're going to get in when I walk out, which I'm about to do? And he brilliantly said, you want to take it for a test drive? I'm like, good idea. Wait a minute. It gets better. And I, I know you can relate to this. So we take it for a test drive, had pickup. He told me there was a premium sound system. And then he sits me down at the table and he draws the cross. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Of draws the cross. And he asks me what I consider to be the stupidest question that any salesperson has ever asked me in my life, which was, how much do you want to pay for this car? <clears throat> I mean, literally, exactly. that's, building, that's building tons of value right there, Jeff. How much yeah. do you want to pay for this car? So I answered him honestly. I said, well, I'd like you to pay me to buy the car. And he, he laughed. <laughs> he goes, of course, we can't do that. Really? What do you want to pay for the car? I said, no, if that's the question you're asking me, really, I'd like you to pay me to buy the car. He right. says, sir, we can't do that. I said, maybe you need to ask me a better question. And he says, what question should I be asking? I said, you are the salesman. And then I, I patted my pocket. You can't see it. I'm doing it right now. I said, look, man, I've got your money. I've got money in my pocket right now, and I'm ready to buy this car. Why don't we do this? Go get your sales manager, because you know that you're going to give me a price. Then I'm going to say, you got to do better. You're going to go talk to your sales manager. Then you're going to come back with another price. And then you're going to go back to your sales manager. And eventually, your manager is going to walk over, and he or she is going to give me the deal I'm looking for. So go get your manager right now, and we'll do this deal. Well, we went back and forth. And here's the end of the story. An hour later, I drove away with the car and my son, who at the time was, I think, six years old, looks at me and says, Daddy, why were you so mean to that man? I said, oh, simple. He's an idiot. So why is it, Joe, that salespeople in automotive dealerships are such morons? And why do they do that stuff? So I, I will tell you that it is the top down mentality that I am out there trying to correct. 
sales management forgets where they came from, right? That they came up with a manager that wouldn't tell them anything, right? And said, you're going to follow these steps. Well, again, I, I go into dealerships and they're like, oh, well, we have six steps to a sale. Oh, we have eight steps, right? We have 10 steps. And I'm like, I, I don't want to run into the dealership. One, one of them had 18. I was like, I don't even get it. 12 steps is a recovery program. So why is it that you would have any amount of steps, right, beyond that? And so looking at it, the answer is I'm going to control the people by owning their activities, not their ability to communicate with a customer. So nobody's teaching them how do you communicate, how do you go through? And no one has taught them that, let's say you have 10 steps to a sale. There's no reason why step eight can't be done before step four, right? And you, you can, as long as one starts and 10 ends, who cares? Let the customer dictate where you're going. And most people believe, most managers believe, if I allow the salesperson to have the freedom to actually control what's going on with the person, they'll let everybody leave, right? They'll just let everybody leave and I'll, I'll miss that opportunity. And I, I sit back and I cringe. And I, when I go into dealerships, the sales department, when they give them to me, I teach them everything about what is a car deal. I teach them everything about what has to happen, the state you're in, what are the rules and regulations, what is it you can and can't do, because they've never been a part of it. They've never been into that. So the kid was taught, you go out, you do the, the walk around. And that's because a manager believed that if you didn't do a good walk around, the customer would never pay full price. And so, cause you didn't build enough value in the car and it's like, but if the customer gives you, these are what I need, why do I have to walk you through the rest of it? Right. And I teach them, I'm like, look on every car, you have a hundred percent of its features and its benefits for the customer. Most people care about 20% of it. Right. I, I would have just laughed out loud if the guy started talking crumple zones. Cause I said, look, based on the way I drive like you, right. I'm going too fast. I'll exceed the capability of the crumple zone. <laughs> all right. And I'm like, I, all I care about is how fast does it go and how fast can I stop when I made a mistake? But uh, again, that's what I look at and say, there's got to be a better way. And, but again, they're just following what they're taught. And until we phase out the old school, right? Like I, I legit, when I go into dealerships, I have a packet for old school and I have a packet for new school. And when I go in, I tell the dealer, does this sound familiar? And they're like, yeah, I go, that's what's wrong with it. That's old school, right? We're going to go new school and we're going to treat people like they're buyers, treat them like they're humans, right? And not look at them as a dollar sign walking in the door. Yeah. And how about listening to what the prospective customer is saying? I, I told this guy the two things he had to do to close me. My, here's my belief, Joe, that if you ask the right questions, and listen actively, your prospect will tell you everything you need to know in order to help them choose to do business with you. This guy almost talked himself out of a sale. I really was ready to leave twice. So right. Stop, stop messing around. And by the and way, you're just uh, mean. I am. Well, yeah. I, I often tell sales audiences uh, when I talk about negotiating, uh, take me with you to buy your next car. First of all, I'm going to get you the best deal you'll ever get. And I love torturing car salespeople because they suck so badly. I hate True. that. I, I, 
you know, sales really can can be a, a very honorable and great profession because our job is to serve people. But if you're going to try to rip people off and obfuscate and just be scummy, it's like that's what dra drags everybody down. That that's what makes everybody think salespeople are scumbags. Which are there some? Absolutely. Yes. But it's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and you started talking about leadership. It, you, there's something you call leader level strategy. Uh, what is that, and why do so many leaders look to punish their reps? So uh, again, the leader the leader level strategy. When you're looking at it, it I, we got to fix leaders because they're driving the boat, and we're we're sitting back going, "Oh my goodness, why isn't anything changing?" Okay. So as that trainer, I walk in and I meet with the people, and I go through and I teach them things. But when they look at me and go, well, we can't do that. That's great. I love it. It would help me a lot, but I can't do that because my manager won't. Right. And I, and I usually walk in, talk at the, the top level, the dealer who wants change, and then it gets diluted on its way down. And it's usually that level, you know, that's three steps down. That's right above the salesperson where they block anything that is different than what they know, because rather than learn it, the answer would be, I, I just want it to be the way I know what to do every day. And so to me, it becomes frustrating. But I, again, I've done enough. I've been in the industry enough that I can implement that change and walk in. Your, your average dealership across the United States sells 98 cars a month. Okay, so less than 100 is what they're selling. In the entire dealership, right? The entire dealership. New use, that's what they're selling. I've managed two dealerships and train four of them that do over a thousand cars a month. Okay. So to me, when I walk in, I'm like, give me the scenario. You think I haven't seen it? A thousand car deals in a month and I'm in charge of the sales department. Yeah. I've seen everything. I've watched deals blow up on their own. I've watched salespeople, you know, butcher a car deal, mistreat a person. I've seen, I've seen salespeople, talk to a customer and a customer throw a chair at them, right? And you look and go, okay, you got to own some part of this, right? Unless they unless they pull out their bipolar card <laughs> and say, here, this is what it is. You own some part of it, but we should never get to that point. And so I started in 2000. So we've matured over the years and gotten better, but also the regulations have gotten tighter on the, the car dealership world. Because it literally, like when I was growing up, the stories I've heard of the 70s and the 80s, it was just absolutely horrid. While I was being an electrical engineer, right, they were they were out there torturing people and throwing keys on the roof, saying, I guess you got to go home in my car because the no one opens the, the, the roof door until Monday. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So if you don't start with leadership and get the buy-in and explain the process, then it's going to hit that wall of that that sales leader. Yeah, I, I do the same thing, by the way, Joe. You know, I, I've worked with tiny companies that nobody's ever heard of until they reached out to me, as well as major corporations all over the world, like uh, uh, Aramark and Citibank and Cisco Systems. And typically the first thing I do is go, yeah, I, I know you want training for your salespeople. Let's train your sales managers first because they don't know what they're talking about. The, the, the thing is that, 
most sales managers are salespeople that got promoted, but never got trained on how to manage salespeople and the two different things. So I typically start with, let's train your managers before we even get to the team. Then we'll get to the team. Don't worry, I, I can work with them, but let's get your, your management. I, I call them the line managers, whoever the, the salespeople directly report to. Let's get right. them on the program and then we'll move forward. So a friend of mine sent, saw that I was going to be talking to you and sent me this long text. And I'm just, uh, here's the essence of it. He's got a friend who's a widow. She's 82 years old. She went into a dealership um, for a, a RAV4. And they, the essence of it is they ripped her off. Uh, they, they totally undervalued her car, uh, blah, blah, blah. So she's making higher payments than she should be doing. Is there anything he, she can do at this point? No. You, you you can't. I mean, what you can do I, again. I don't know how long ago this was, right? If it was just recent or something like that, my June answer would be, yeah. So now understand too. At the end of twenty three, we were still experiencing inventory shortages, right? There, I, I've seen Rav four primes that were at a hundred percent over MSRP, mm. right? And especially up in Northern California, where no one could get them. So the vehicles themselves, yes, they were over allowed and what have you, because nobody could get them. And as a dealership, if I'm used to selling even my 98 cars, if I've got 30 to sell, my bills are the same, right? And so the, the price of the, each vehicle goes up because no one can get it. And so that's, that's what happened with the law of supply and demand. The only thing you could do is go back in, talk to the general manager of the dealership Right. And give them an opportunity to uh, make something right or to try to make her whole in some way. Yeah. yeah. He says he did that, but the guy wasn't in, left a message, never called back. But uh, I, I certainly can understand what you're saying there with the, um, you know, the inventory was bad because <laughs> you mentioned before, you know, you, you drive fast. did crash my last Jeep Grand Cherokee about a year and a half ago, year and a half, something, uh, maybe a year ago. I don't remember, but a year, year and a half ago, uh, I certainly don't drive the speed limit. I was definitely going faster than I should have. Uh, you know, I was going up with traffic, but somebody cut off the person right in front of me. She had to, she had no choice. She had to slam on her brakes. I slid right into her and thank God there were crumple zones. Otherwise I'd probably be, I mean, I actually amazingly, the airbags deployed and everything, which I've never had happen before. Car was completely totaled. I walked away with literally a scratch. So I like that there are crumple zones. I just didn't want to yeah. hear about them. So I get the it. The safety things are great. And I'll trust they're there and working when I need them. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, on my previous lease, I was paying $4.69 a month. One year later, $6.79 a month. Same exact car, except one year later. Now, were there some improvements to the car? Yes. The, the uh, electronics are better. The leather's nicer, but not that much nicer, but right. yeah, it's, you know, I, I had to buy the car because that's exactly, I mean, I, I actually checked out some less expensive models, uh, uh, a Toyota, it, it, does, it doesn't feel the same. I love how solid this car is and it does all the things I want to do. Anyways, um, you mainly work with automotive dealerships, but are the things that you teach automotive sales reps only applicable to that industry? In fact, uh, are there some fundamental principles that you believe are crucial for all salespeople, regardless of what they sell? Absolutely. So like I, I work, so my favorite thing to do is take the virtual prospect and make them into a person inside your brick and mortar business. That's what I enjoy. And in, in the automobile business, that's something that has to be done. 
And so, but it's also the same for the companies I work with, which are like, I work with very large moving companies. How do we do, how do we do virtual things to make sure they don't have to go out to all these people and we can build on scale, uh, dentists, chiropractors, things like that. I have short little courses to get their people to set more appointments for people to come in because the chiropractor is not doing house visits. Um, so it goes across. Um, I do teach, like uh, I teach software sales companies. I teach people that like, it, I consult for video game companies for how do I get someone to bump for the next little knife or something that's inside the game to help them um, go through. So it's a, a profit generator. I love the fact that we can get somebody, we can provide enough value and get somebody to spend the money. So it doesn't matter where it's at. I look at it and I go back to, okay, so the easiest way to do, to say that you know something, right? It was Einstein. If you can't explain it to a child, you don't know it well enough. And so for me, the easiest and best explanation and the principles for sales is like, listen, believe, and buy. Okay, so I keep it that way. So anytime somebody goes, I have 10 steps to a sale, I go, I can break them into the four categories, right? This is how we get people to like, this is how we get them to listen, this is how we get them to believe, and then this is how they feel comfortable enough to buy from you. And that goes for every relationship you've ever had Right. It's gone through you and I communicating back and forth for you to say, be on the show. Right. Because we, we, you and I exchange on the show. You were on mine. I liked you. I listened to you. I was like, this is fantastic. I believe what this guy is saying. Yes, absolutely. So when you make an ask, it becomes easier for me to say yes. And yeah. so everybody goes to that. But any spouse you've had, any best friend you've had, all that stuff, everybody goes through that do I like this person? Right. And as I listen to you, does it help me like you more? And if the answer is no, we don't have that friendship. But if the answer is yes, oh, we, we do see a like on certain things. This is great. Right. And it goes through. Then we go now what they've said a couple of times. I, I believe that. So then we get to the point where I can believe you without checking you. Okay. And then all of a sudden it gets to that point that I buy into a relationship or I can buy from you. But the bottom line, number one is, is like, and most people forget that. And yeah. so the person who jumps over the like, guess why, guess why you were upset with the forerunner guy? Because he wasn't listening. There was no chance to actually build like, does anyone like someone who ignores them? No, I, I disliked him. Exactly. You went the complete opposite way because I chose not to value what you're saying and figure out what it is. Yeah. So again, but that's in every industry, in every relationship that goes on. And again, I'm not the guy who says I'm a relationship seller. I just know that for this transaction, I need to go through like, listen, believe and buy. So in automotive, 71% of the people that bought a vehicle when polled afterwards and said, why did you buy from this dealership and why did you buy from this? 71% was because I liked my salesperson. Okay. And so then everybody goes, yeah, that's great. I go, no, no, no. That means 29 bought in spite of you. Right. You weren't the reason why. So 29% of them, which means what? If they're, you're going to have low gross and low customer satisfaction because you were either the one that went cheap enough or you were the one, the only one with the vehicle, and I had to tolerate you through the process. Yeah, exactly. right. And in the automotive space, it's most of the time saying, "Look, I, I just tolerate you to get the vehicle to be in my garage." 
hundred percent. I could not agree more. I believe sales is sales, no matter what you're selling. It's all the same steps. And I use a car broker these days. I've used them on my last several vehicles. Why? I like them and I trust them. And certainly the first time I bought, I checked his price. I have it on the last two cars that he got for me because I like the guy. I like doing business with him. He makes it easy for me. He's fun. He delivers the vehicle right to my house, brings the paperwork. I don't even have to go to a dealership. And he's a real likable guy. So I'm with you a million percent. We're slightly more than halfway through, and uh, we need a word from our sponsor, which is me. Uh, I actually was supposed to record a commercial, but uh, I've been so swamped lately. So um, you guys are listening to the Sales Pro Network, which is dedicated to helping salespeople increase their income and elevate the profession of sales. I am often asked for private coaching, and it's a large investment. I, I don't work cheap because I'm good at what I do, and I know that not everybody can do it for for because they don't have the money. And I've been searching for years and years to come up with a way where I could serve more people and don't get me wrong i like getting paid for serving people but serve more people and still make money so i've come up with something called the sales pro insider network it's a group coaching community we meet twice a month on tuesday nights from 6 to 7 30 p.m eastern it's me and whoever shows up just getting coaching just like joe and i are talking we're having a conversation tell me what your biggest problems are and i'm the sales problem solver i'm going to help you solve them that's the first meeting of the month the second meeting of the month is me with a guest coach last month we had a coach talking about marketing message that get engagement this month on uh, the second uh, session we're going to have somebody talk about work less hard and make more money i'm certainly interested in that next month uh in march we've got somebody who's an nlp expert neuro linguistic programming and she'll be talking about that uh it's 27 dollars for the first month but if you're listening to this uh if you dm me or reach out to me on Facebook or through LinkedIn. I'm gonna let you in for free the first month and there's no obligation, there's no contract. So if you're interested, just get in touch with me. Now back to you, Joe. Um, looking, we're both a couple of what I call old sales dogs, although I think I'm a little bit older than you. Uh, looking at the evolution of sales techniques and tactics over the years, what are the key changes that you've seen and what do sales professionals need to do to stay relevant? So, um, again, the biggest trend that I've seen, especially going automotive and just about every business, is the phone was great before when we were trying to reach people, right? And a lot of the, the phone, like Bruce had put up there, yeah, in the 80s, we were, <laughs> the phone was it. But when you look at it, today, the, the phone is even more crucial than it ever has been because the people need the barrier between us. Right. They're used to the Internet now separating them from us. So at two in the morning, I can go ask somebody a question for something, knowing that there's no one there. Right. And then wait for an answer to come in. So your ability to pick up the phone, contact somebody and create that like and that listen part of it is absolutely crucial. Where before we could always turn to a face-to-face -face visit. And a lot of times now it's the computer and the phone that is keeping the customer protected behind a wall. And so most people don't know how to, you know, knock on the, the wall. <laughs> Let's have somebody let them in. They're just immediately start hitting the wall with their sledgehammer of the phone. So it's the etiquette and it's the ability to communicate effectively is what's necessary when people when face-to-face -face salespeople pick up the phone you lose it it's, it's not the same they go it, it just doesn't work and i'm like that's because you can't see the person you're depending on body language when there is none over the phone 
right? Or the worst thing is, is they take everything they say face to face, right? And then they go type it into a text message. And it's like, you look and go, what, what are you saying? What, what is this? Right. I have a guy who's trying to sell a $160,000 vehicle, putting little truck emojis and heart eyes in a text message. And I, and I, 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 yeah, I look at him. I'm like, he goes, my customers like it. I go, your manager sent you in here because you sell four cars in a month. Right. And the minimum's 12. So he didn't send you in here because you're the rock star that knows what your customers want. Right. And I, I took it, I took his phone and I backspaced out that and said, okay, he'll answer you back in a few minutes with the appointment time he wants this evening. And he goes, my people did. He's like, I'm like, what time's he coming in? <laughs> right. But again, people forget that. And again, I, I, I use a, a, a term I call assumed rapport. I just assume we're friends until you check me back. But I don't assume I'm not professional and that's where most people miss it. Right. They go into, well, if I'm your friend, I don't have to be professional. I'm like, if I want money, I have to be professional. I have to pay $160,000. Exactly. And I'm like, I can be friendly and professional. Heck, even in chat GPT, you can select that. So it's like, come on, there's a tone that's categorized that way. Don't just make it friendly or you know not professional yeah and i think a lot of it is is often salespeople sell the way they want to sell in, instead of the way that people want to buy uh, you know I, I think it was jeffrey gittimer that, that said you know uh nobody wants to be sold but everybody likes to buy stuff right right and again the answer is how easy can you make it for somebody to buy from you and if your salesperson is a hurdle for them to jump, you're automatically missing deals. Oh, I'm so with you. I, I can't tell you how many times I've told salespeople, make it easy for people to say yes. Make it easy for people to place an order. Don't send me into the finance manager to, to, to take up another hour of my time. I got your money. Let's just do it. Crazy. Um, you, you mentioned AI, Joe, and I'm a big fan. I think there are some pitfalls that we need to be incredibly careful about. In fact, just this morning, I responded to a friend on LinkedIn who posted something about AI, and I could immediately tell it was written by AI. Now, he's a big fan of it. He's, he's actually a genius when it comes to that stuff. But my belief is that the, there, there's a danger, and the danger is not that AI is going to replace salespeople, at least no time soon, because I, I can... 95% of the time, I can tell when something was written by AI. Uh, and and that's, that was my response to him. I said, yeah, I love AI, but I can tell that it was written by AI. You know, you, you take the time to edit it. So what about AI? Any insights on your part into how AI is transforming traditional sales strategies? Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, like, for me, I, I got tired of the AI looking like AI that's in there. So one of the little cheat codes I do with my chat GPT is, I, I set up a, a prompt asking it to, to be my ghostwriter. And what do you need from me to learn my vote, my voice, my tone and what it is. And so then all of a sudden, you know, she goes Whoa, and asked me a whole bunch of questions. And I'm like, for future reference, we ask one question as a t at a time. Right. And it was like, oh, OK. So I'm sitting outside smoking a cigar in the backyard talking to chat GPT and it's asking me a question. I'm answering, asking whatever. So I can write articles that are in my own voice. That is a rewrite of AI. 
And so that's one way you can look at it as far as learning what you're doing and have it to help you. And always take out the first sentence. Whenever it builds you an email or anything else, this is, I hope this email finds you well. Yeah, that's the start of every AI email. Okay, so don't do that. But AI right now is offering us, so in most of the world, salespeople are individuals that walk in on the first day of the month and you go, hey, Jeff, how much money are you going to make this month? And you go, I don't know, but I'm excited. And you're like, okay, that individual is not going to be great at following the steps. Okay, they're a live in the moment. They're that person that goes on. So follow up, right? Follow up that they're supposed to be doing never gets done. Every time I walk into a dealership, I go, hey, pull up your CRM. Show me the uh, overdue tasks. And, and even somebody who's on top of it still has 100-something overdue tasks for their team. And so now um, I spent the last – I built my own AI for coaching. I saw. Right? And Very so cool. I, built, I built that one so that they can ask questions on the fly, right, or ask that question that their manager has told them twice that they didn't understand and goes through. Um, but I've also I've also been working with companies on how do I get AI to do the follow up? How do we get it to sound more natural? Right. And so the overall looking at it, I now have the ability we have the ability to have AI do text message and email follow ups. Right. We haven't got to the phone yet, but there is a couple companies out there that do it. And it sounds pretty amazing. Um, but looking at it. Sales is going to be catered to those that excel face-to-face. -face. We're going to go back to that way because we can have AI do all of the work up until the point of getting it done. I was with a company yesterday, and they've got eight, they're at 18% of overall leads received by a dealership. The AI can take it all the way to an appointment that's confirmed. Wow. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> that works for me because right now I'm I'm lucky to get a 10% close, right? So that means you'd have a 20% show or 30 to 40% set when you're looking at it from the lead to an appointment. And so I'm like, if half of them are being done by the AI because they're better, then that's going to help those salespeople that don't know how to transition to phone. And, and it gives you more time to do the actual selling. Yeah. And now it's it's not going to hurt you that you're face to face with somebody. Yep. And I think you also have a product where it'll actually create an avatar of the person and respond, in, interact with potential customers. Right. Is that the one? Correct. You're yes. Yeah. Yes. It looks, it looks very cool. There was something else that looks cool because I love titles. What is the War Games Group? War Games Group is uh, my sales coaching program. So it's a private Facebook group. But it was funny. I sat down trying to figure out what would I call my sales coaching thing? And, you know, leave the word genius out of it. But um, as you go through, I was looking, I'm like, every salesperson, when you talk to them, believes it's a battle to get the money from the customer. Mm. And so I said, I have a choice. I could either offer them what they believe in now and change it on the inside, or I can just go with the end result and, and I'll do, you know, sales genius training and uh right or group call that i said i'm gonna go with war games so i went with war games got cool sound effects from war and stuff like that then once you get inside we explain to you it's not a battle right it's exactly. not this but i can't explain it to you until 
I have you inside looking for how do I win the battle? And a couple of times I'll go through and change my whole presentation of what I want to teach today and put it into a battle theme. And so then everybody's like, yeah, I'm like, it's still the same thing, right? It's like, listen, believe, buy. And then how do I, how do I capitalize in every one of those areas with everything that I do? Yeah. That, it's a huge mistake for salespeople to see sales as a battle or like war because it, it, we either both win or we both lose. You get my product or service, I get your money. You don't get my product or service, I don't get your money. Uh, in, in war, there's winners and losers. I mean, actually, I believe everybody loses in a war, but there's usually a winner and a loser. Agreed. And it should be both. Uh, and did, did the, the title have anything to do with the Matthew Broderick movie? You know, um, in, the, in my intro at the end, it goes, shall we play a game? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because I was like, I, I grew up on war games. I've always done that. Classic, classic. Thermal, thermal global nuclear war. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> you should awesome. know that at like 10 years old. What's going on? Exactly. Awesome world. movie. If you haven't seen it, guys, go watch War Games. Um, you also have a new book called Laugh and Learn, The Art of Edutainment. Now, I've used that term many my, times myself in describing what I do. It's edutainment. But for those who aren't familiar, what is edutainment and why is it important? So edutainment, we've mixed the words of education and entertainment. But notice the edu started in the front, right? So we're focused on educating you, but we do it in, with an entertainment style. So everything I do, I prefer to laugh. I prefer to have fun. Um, I just did a big sales kickoff for a, a, a big website company uh, two weeks ago. While I was in there, the, you know, the second slide pops up after it's got the intro slide. I click it, pops up and says, can we have fun today? Right. And everybody's like, well, uh huh, uh huh. And then I have the yes flash and the no gets smaller and smaller in the animation. And they're like, I, go, I don't want to persuade you in any way. But by the time you're done, the whole screen says yes. And so everybody goes, yes, we can. So I believe that if you don't like someone, you don't laugh at what they say. You don't find entertainment. So if somebody you hate told you the funniest joke you have heard, you won't laugh because you hate that person. And I wouldn't give them the satisfaction of knowing that I laughed at what they said. Later, you'll go tell it to everybody else and laugh with them, all your friends, right? And I look at it and say, the second we can actually break down the ego to the point that you can laugh, then there is stuff that we can plug in to make you a better salesperson. So I start every training session with a funny prank video that's on there. And again, if it's a prank video and the person's like, that wasn't funny, that was just mean. And I'm like, okay, let me go talk to your manager because sales <laughs> is not where you need to be, right? Can we put this person into the business office and let them work there? Because the, this person is not going to handle the, the pain of the nose right and the hoping for the yeses kind of deal that kind of false hope that gets destroying salespeople. i completely agree and i know that you're not afraid afraid to be controversial uh there you have a bunch of books but two of them that i saw were one was called pull your head out of your ass pretty straightforward and the other one is my shit list so are, are you can now me my sense of humor i love that but are you concerned that titles like that might turn some people off and they did make me curious what what are they about yeah, so um, I, I'm okay if it turns some people off because they're not going to be my clientele, right? And, and let's be real. I'm in the automotive space. That's as absolutely mild as you can be, okay? So um, I, I, the four-letter words run rampant inside of a dealership. But 
when I look at it, so the the pull your head out of your ass, that was me being funny because it says for people that just don't get it, right? For managers, it's a manager one going, okay, I'm tired. I was just playing with the fact that people don't pay attention to their staff. They don't do it. So it's a, I mean, it's an ebook. I think it may be 12 pages long. It's nothing other than just to play around. I was sitting with someone and I was like, you know, the easiest thing for you to do is pull your head out of your ass. That'd be the first part, right? The rectal cranial inversion <laughs> is really bad. And one of the things I usually tell people is like, I can't put my head up my own butt as far as yours is up yours to see things your way, right? And so they were laughing and I was like, you just need to go, you need to put a book out like that. So I was like, okay. So I went and made a funny little quip book. The, um, the shit list is actually a journal, but it's a fun way to journal. So when you open it up, it says, this is the list you don't want to be on. But when you open it up, there's three little rolls of toilet paper at the top that says shit that has to get done today. And then it comes up and goes, shit, someone else gave me to do, right? Here's the shitty websites I need to look up today. So it's designed to be on your desk. It's a little six by nine thing that sits on your desk and you just as you go through the day you can move something to the next day it's just a fun way of doing a, a journal that isn't as boring as a blank piece of paper because I, I have a bunch of those on there just because i like coming up with funny titles i think it's great when you see somebody carrying around a little binder and the front cover has a dog wearing tinfoil hat that says my dog's conspiracy theory journal Right. Because if you're sitting there, imagine you're sitting there, you look over and see somebody next to you, you're like, what is in that? Yeah. What is in that? And you open it, it's blank pages. It's for you to fill out. Really, uh, yeah. I, I noticed you have a bunch of uh, different journals. So you're very big on journaling. I'm assuming that you do it yourself. Why is that and how does it help you? So to me, the journaling helps empty my brain. So ADHD galore over here. I thought with ADHD, I'd be thinner, but it didn't work that way. But um, my brain is constantly going. So I find that if I'm journaling and writing, writing it down, like on my desk, I've got a note here. I've got a little whiteboard here. Got a big whiteboard over there. And I am consistently writing things down. I made notepads for my own clients that I have on my desk all the time, right? Hold on. There's another one, right? So I'm always writing things down. But what I found was they were, yes. Always, they were never always. in the same space when I needed them, right? And so then I pull the journal together and I keep everything to journal. So I get it out of my head, right? Have you ever gone to sleep? And I challenge everybody. You go to go to sleep at night and you can't because your brain is still humming on something. Or you tell yourself, I can't forget for tomorrow, blah, 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 right? Which your brain doesn't process a negative. So the answer is forget. Right? And so you're like, I have to remember, I have to remember, I have to remember. And then it disturbs all of your sleep because your brain consciously has to keep waking you up to go, we're not forgetting this. We're not forgetting this. Where if you write it down, it allows the brain to relax and disengage and you can actually have a good night's sleep. But I find that the, the, the sparks of genius are in there. And when I go back through and read through something, it goes pop and goes that, right? Like, Chat GPT, I love using AI. I, I made it my business partner, right? It's in there. It con we consult back and forth on topics, but looking at it, my answer is, hey, right? What does it do? It stimulates the next idea for me, not gives it to me. 
it's one of those things that comes back and forth. So that's yeah. what I look at. I love that, Joe. And I do the same thing. If I have a thought, I need to write it down immediately because I have a bad case of CRS, which I think you probably know what that is. I get you. And uh, like, I will open up a browser to look something up. And by the time it opens, I've forgotten what I was looking for. And I'm not, ex I mean, I can't tell you how many, wait a minute, what, what was I looking for? It, it, so for me, writing things down immediately, uh, and look, I love computers, and I, I, I desperately love them, but I find that writing something down uh, feels different. It, it acts on you differently. In fact, I, I teach something called stream of consciousness brainstorming, and it's a methodology for coming up with ideas and solving problems. And um, it's really just you writing stuff down as it pops in your head. And I always tell people, don't do this on a computer. I love computers too, but writing is more immersive. As you're writing, you feel it, you think it, you see it. So I'm a big fan. Um, I see we're getting close to our out of time. So I, I've got a bunch more questions. Uh, here's what I want to talk about. Another one of your books is The Art of Communication. And I believe that salespeople, at, at their essence, we are communicators. That's our job. So you've got some tips for improving communications. Uh, what are some of your best tips? Okay, so um, I, I love the... We we're taught when you're face to face to match and mirror, right? And we go, we got to match a mirror. So if you move, I move, right? And if you do this, I'm gonna have to do this and go back and forth. We forget that that's one sense. That's the visual, right? I tell you, listen to the prospect to find what their words are that matter to them. So if something happened to you, Jeff, that was really really good there's a word you would use. You'd say the most blank thing happened today, right? Whatever that word is, I got to find it. I got to hear you say it. So for example, a customer looks and goes, well, I would need a significant discount, right? If I were to even consider you. And I'd say, well, I, I go completely understand. I said, but based on my volume and the what I do here with the company, right? For anyone to consider getting you a significant discount, it would have to come from me. And so now you hear me say significant discount. When you hear me say that, it validates that you said it as opposed to when you go, you go, you know what? Um, I had the most awesome thing happen today. And I go, really? That's fantastic. And you go, well, fantastic doesn't mean the same thing. I want a, I want a great deal. I can get you a, a, a totally great deal. And you're like, okay, great. But I want an amazing deal. I can give you a fantastic deal. Fantastic, amazing. You just, you're out of synergy with them. Okay. You got to match them on energy. You got to match them on tone and inflection and volume. And so I always go a little faster and a little higher on the volume than what they're talking because I want to bring them up. And when I can bring your voice up and bring your excitement up to mine, I can't do, hi, this is going to be great, Jeff. It's going to be, and you're over there going, yeah, I would like to look at this. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. That's not going to work. But we forget that it's not just about face-to-face, -face, right? One of the things I tell people, if you notice, I move and I shift while we're on this show, right? And again, if you go back, you'll say he does that. But if you look, if I sit straight up the whole time and now I'm, I'm squaring my shoulders with Jeff, it's more uncomfortable even on Zoom. Right. And I teach this to women because women view shoulder to shoulder. OK, as honesty. Listen to the, the, the problem we have right there as men and women. OK, women say shoulder to shoulder is honesty. Men say shoulder to shoulder is squaring up and we're about to fight. Right. 
So that's why most couples, you'll listen to the, the wife will ask a question. The husband will like, why do you attack me? And she's going, what are you talking about? She's just trying to be honest and talk with you. And so where men, I, I break every time we line up, I break it. So it's easier for us to continue to talk. We could jump in the car, drive across the entire United States, make eye contact three, four times. Right. I'll throw my words at the dashboard and you'll throw it'll bounce back to you and we'll be fine. OK, where women have to face you to get that. So if you're driving down the road and your spouse is sitting next to you, her knee comes up and hits the center console so that she's staring at you. You're driving, supposed to be looking forward. You instinctively pick it up and turn to tell her this and that. And so we need to be able to do that. So if you're working with a couple, you have to have the woman sit across from you, squared shoulders, okay? And you have to have the man at the angle, but then you have to tell yourself, don't move my shoulders, don't move my shoulders. Because <laughs> you're sitting there going the whole time going, this is confrontational. And she's, if you ever get up, she's like, I like that guy. Yeah, it's that subtle stuff that can make all the difference. And it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you're also saying that communication is not just talking, it's you got to listen. And so many oh, salespeople, uh, this is, I always say this is a technical sales training term, they suck at listening. They're horrible listeners. Yeah. And it's the same thing in any relationship. If you're not, if you're just talking, that's a monologue, but the essence of communication is there's a back and forth and you're listening to what the other person says. And I say that's the essence of selling too. Absolutely. You listen, you ask great questions and listen to what the prospect says, because they will tell you exactly what you need to know in order to help them choose to do business with you. Well, well, too you're many great. of us think you're... it's all about the pitch. Yeah. And your great question is you listening to them to come up with that question. Otherwise, it's just another question of saying, what do you want to pay for this? Right. They say it because that's what they're supposed to say, because they weren't listening the entire time. I hear you, my friend. All right. Uh, let me see if I've got this pulled up. Yes, I do. Uh, I'm going to share my screen. Here we go. Let's see if I can find what I want to show. There we go. Uh, I'm sharing my screen right now with your contact information, but this will be turned into a podcast very shortly. Would you please tell people how can they can reach you, Joe, if they're interested? Absolutely. The easiest way to find me is thegeniuslinks.com. It's got contact info, calendar invites, sample trainings, a list of every product, all the stuff that's there. One of the things I like to do is make it easy. I tell salespeople, I know you want a bunch of people in your phone. So when your manager says, hey, go call people, you're like, I've got them in my phone. But you need to be in your prospect's phone. You need to be in the prospect's phone so that when they get to the point of buying, they know how to contact you. So I'll tell everybody you want to you want to put Joe in your phone, just open up your browser on your phone and go to joescontact.com, J-O-E-S-C-O-N-T-A-C-T.com. And that will pull up and say you can say download and add me to your phone. And now Joe's there. And you can always just search for genius when you sit there and you go, the guy who's arrogant enough to call himself the sales genius. Yeah, that's the guy I was looking for. Excellent advice. And you're in my phone, Joe. And by the way, on my LinkedIn profile, it used to say sales genius. I took it off a couple of years ago. So thank goodness we're not, uh, we're not, Ooh, we're not fighting. <laughs> and to make it easy for anybody who is interested in finding out about the sales pro insider network, the group coaching, again, you can DM me or you can go to crush sales goals.com. C R U S H 
S-A-L-E-S-G-O-A-L-S.com. If you do that, you're going to pay the 27 bucks for the first month. If you DM me, I'm going to get you in for free. And with that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Please remember that sales don't happen on their own. Sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Thank you so much, Joe, for sharing your brilliance so generously. Have a great weekend, everybody. Joe, I hope that rain stops soon. I know that you're in Southern California. It's yeah. bad, but you can still smile. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Have a great one.